0: I'd been working reclamation for a little over a year. We called it reclamation, but that's a euphemism for throwing away crazy people's shit. I work for CLK, one of the largest property owners in the southeast. Chuck L, Chuckles, Langtree bought hundreds of distressed properties for pennies on the dollar during the recession and built an empire renting them back to the same poor people the banks had just evicted. I started working there after my sister kicked me out. Before she died, our mother had made me promise to make good grades in school, and made my sister, Carla, promise to let me stay with her so long as I did. College, well, it just didn't agree with me. I could pick up the facts just fine but put a sheet of paper in front of me and call it a test, and my mind would become a complete blank. I made it through two years of community college, but I just couldn't handle my junior year. Carla seemed relieved, sitting there at mom's old, scarred kitchen table, telling me that I had to go. So I couch surfed for a few weeks, and found the reclamation job sheerly through luck. Trenton, a friend who was a part-time bartender, told me a tale of his cousin, who got bit by a rat at work. You seen hoarders? Trenton asked. You see, Barry goes into those hoarder houses, where they's got, like, 40 dead cats and jars of piss and shit, and he cleans it out. It pays pretty big money, except they was rats in the last one, and a rat bit him, so he had to get a bunch of shots, tetanus, friggin' rabies, like 20 shots in his ass or something. Worker's comp paid for it all, but when he got back to work, the place chit-chatted him for not wearing appropriate safety gear. A few careful questions later, and I had the name of the company. Barry's manager, now my manager, hired me on the spot. I dressed in nice slacks and an Oxford shirt, the only nice clothes I owned. I think he smelled my desperation, and pay was truly lousy. You're gonna mess up them britches, boy, he said, and you start today. People are, uh, they're filthy. See, I'm no neat freak. But the way some of these people live is worse than animals and pens. Years worth of dishes stacked in sinks, counters, the floor. Junkie needles, rusted tips stuck everywhere, waiting to snag an arm or a hand. Toilets clogged months or even years past. Covered in newspapers, shat upon, and recovered in layer after layer of shit in newspaper until it kind of made a fecal paper mache. I'm dead serious about my safety gear. Trenton's cousin, well, he was an idiot. You don't go into these places without a lot of something between you and everything else. Most of the houses I worked in weren't disaster zones. They were just houses that, well, for some reason, usually foreclosed, had sat empty for a long time. Houses aren't made to sit empty. A tiny problem that would be instantly noticed and repaired by an occupant, like a dripping faucet, a bit of missing weather stripping around a door, or an animal scratching around in the attic, would turn into a full-blown disaster after six months of neglect. I would back up a dump truck to a house, and my partner and I would haul out broken furniture, cracked toilets, sodden carpet, ruined drywall. The people who lived in those houses usually left when they didn't want to leave. And some, well, they left mad, I had seen entire plumbing stacks filled with concrete, wiring pulled from walls, and fixtures smashed with hammers. My partner on one job, the name was Hank, he opened up a kitchen cabinet only to discover... It was full of baby raccoons. The mama raccoon? Well, she tried to eat Hank's face. I guess some days were luckier than others, though. In one place, I realized the strange odor I had been smelling was kerosene. Only a moment before, I triggered a trip wire that some meth head had strung across the hallway. The cops said the whole place was rigged. The trip wire and several others had been tied to crude, nail-filled claymores, and pipe bombs were wired into the light switches. Since then, I always cut power to a place first thing, and I always smelled the air. You see, the air told me something was wrong with the Kelling House. At first, From the street, the house seemed small, a modest bungalow shadowed by trees and overgrown shrubs. When we backed the truck down the cramped, curving drive, I could see the house was very large, verging towards mansion. It appeared to have three distinct wings. Three floors rose over the porch, the topmost crowned with a row of small windows, I just forced my way through the large, heavy front door with a pry bar past no less than three deadbolts. The air was warm and wet, like the exhalation from the mouth of a carnivore. Ah, oh, fuck man, that stinks! cried Jacob, my partner for the job. He was nineteen, stood about six foot three, weighed about three hundred pounds and had a rosy child's face frame by ringlets of curly blonde hair. He looked like a giant, oversized baby. Belly was straining against his rip-proof environment suit. And this was his first real job, but I doubted I would see him after Friday. Put your respirator on, I said, pulling mine into place. Stinks like mold in here. You don't want any of that shit in your lungs. I pushed the front door open and stepped into the hallway. The heat inside the house was oppressive. It was early October, cool outside, so the heater must have been running. Daylight from beyond the low slung front porch showed a hallway packed floor to ceiling with stacks of papers. With only a narrow path between them, grey dust or mold coated everything piled into small drifts in the corners and floated in the sunlight great a hoarder house like on tv jacob asked yeah like on tv i flicked on my flashlight be really careful near these stacks if you bump into one the whole pile could fall on you Jacob had been watching long-legged centipedes scurry for cover from the beam of his light. He gave a nervous laugh and shrank back from the stacks of papers. Jacob reached for the old two-button-style light switch near the front door. I blocked his hand. No, use your light. There's no telling how bad the wiring is in this place. I motioned at the papers. I don't want to be stuck in here with a fire. We made our way further down the hallway, between the teetering stacks of dust-covered and cobweb-filled papers, and the light faded as the kelling house swallowed us. Jacob and I entered what once would have been a grand foyer off the front hallway. Our lights picked out beautiful woodwork and glinted off an elaborate chandelier hanging three stories overhead. Dust-covered shelves lined the walls, floor to the ceilings high overhead, each crammed to overflowing with junk and papers. Galaxies of dust swirled in the thick air, disturbed by our intrusion. In the gloom, the room was dizzying. The mind recoiled from so many details, from having to track and account for so many things. Jacob's respirator whistled faster and faster. I lay a hand on his shoulder. Calm down, ma'am. Just breathe. I'm sorry, it's, it's too much. His eyes were shocked huge behind his face mask. We need to find the main breaker panel and cut the power. We only have until Friday to haul all this shit out. From the looks of it, we'll be living here until then. Stepping over scattered papers, I walked through an archway into a new hallway opposite the entry hallway. This one was more narrow and only had crudely assembled wooden shelves on one side. I checked each door along the way. These old houses, the panels in the kitchen half the time, the kitchen was as bad as I had feared. The food hadn't simply rotted. It had disintegrated and merged into a sheet of decaying matter that glued the layers of plates and dishes into a near-solid mat. A molted man of refrigerator, once yellow or even white, slumped in a corner like a murder victim. Its door opened to display ancient, furred food crushed beneath broken wire shelves. Every level surface had to be stacked with dishes as if whoever had brought them into the kitchen had dropped them off expecting them to be cleaned by a servant who was no longer there or who had never been. Jacob and I picked our way across and around the heaps that may have been tables or chairs Our lights aimed at the walls where we hoped to find a breaker panel. We found none. And the other half of the time? Jacob asked, though the resignation in his voice meant he knew the answer. Yeah, it's in the basement. The other door leading out of the kitchen was stuck firm. Even Jacob, who had nearly a hundred pounds on me, couldn't get it to shift in its frame. We backtracked to the foyer look we have to split up you take this hallway and i'll take the other one you walk the right side edge the whole time i punched his arm you hear me right side the whole time i'm following the left side i need to make sure you're checking every wall in every single room i mean listen this is a big house there's trash all over and it's dark We've already burned two hours, and we only have until the end of the week. We don't have time to waste checking the same room twice. If you find it, text me. You got your phone on you? you turned it up loud? He nodded. You got a signal? Yeah, man, I'm not an idiot. I know, I said, even though I was pretty sure he was an idiot. Langtree doesn't give a shit how big this house is. If he wants it cleaned out by the end of the week, and if we do a good job, haul a bunch of loads, he'll give us a bonus. Well, that was half a lie, he'd give me a bonus. Jacob would get a pat on the back and wouldn't show up to work on Monday morning. Let's go, keep that mask on. As Jacob stumbled down his hallway, clumsily in his environmental suit, Motes of grey dust sparkled in his flashlight beam, until the darkness closed upon him. An hour later, I had to admit that I was lost. I was furious. It was a big house, and yes, there was trash everywhere, and yes, it was dark. But it was still just a house. I had spotted a promising doorway at the end of the hallway. But the hallway was blocked by an impenetrable stack of furniture, and oddly garden implements i backtracked to a narrow spiral staircase and climbed up my plan was to go up one floor go down the length of an upper hallway and find a way down to the other side at the top of the staircase was another long hallway but this was empty of both trash and doorways Gray mold or dust lay thick across carpet that might have been once red. I walked the length of the hallway without finding another staircase. Instead, the hallway turned sharply left. The first door on the right was slightly open. I pushed the door open and walked into a dusty but otherwise clean bedroom. Large bay windows looked down upon the driveway i could see the front of the truck except i was too high up somehow instead of climbing up one floor i had climbed to the topmost level of the house and when my phone rang i nearly wet myself yeah i said "I's own here jacob said the connection was terrible i can't hear you move towards the window. I'll go me. I looked at my phone. Call feature, call failed. I'm not sure how that's a feature. I sent him a text, Meet at truck. I was hot, I was thirsty, and I really had to pee. So I was ready to kick down a door and climb out a window just to get to the truck. I left the bedroom thinking to retrace my steps. After that, I'm not sure what happened. I'd always felt like I had a good sense of direction, especially inside a building. But the Kelling House? It was different. I know I went left out of the bedroom, then right down the long, empty hallway, and down the spiral staircase. But when I reached the bottom, the pile of rakes and garden shears shoved through decaying chests of drawers was missing it seemed to be the same hallway at first i hurried down to the end of the hallway towards what i had earlier thought must be the door to the basement i hauled the door open but instead the room was stuffed nearly full of dolls i backtracked again opening doors another was piled high with books a brief look revealed them all to be molded water-swollen paperback romance novels. Not one had a breaker panel on the wall. Worse, the windows in each room had been boarded up, then painted. After the third room, I noticed the carpet pattern in the hallway, only sparsely visible beneath moldering papers and dust. It had changed from a red grid to green with yellow flowers. So I checked my phone again, no signal, and no texts. I tried calling Jacob anyway, but of course the call didn't go through. I started walking back to find the spiral staircase. Preoccupied as I was, I nearly missed the door to the basement. It was made to look like the walls of the hallway in which I stood, with dark wood trim and covered in yellowing plastering lathe, As I walked past, I noticed something near the floor. A light? The door opened easily, to reveal a short set of wooden stairs, dimly lit by an ancient, naked incandescent bulb. The steps ended at another door. This door was not wood, but metal, and it was much larger. A wheel was set in the center of the door. I turned the wheel and pulled open the hatch. And hot air, hot enough to feel through the Tyvek of my suit, rushed past me. Brilliant white-blue light spilled around the edges of the doorway, blinding my gloom-accustomed eyes. I hissed involuntarily, shading my eyes from the harshness of the glare. And after my eyes adjusted... I stepped through the doorway onto a white-painted metal landing. A long series of white metal strips descended from the platform. The walls, also white, were spotlessly clean, as were the floor and steps. My phone dinged and vibrated. It claimed it had another bar's worth of signal. Three missed calls, all from Jacob. Several texts where are you? Not funny. I quit. JK, you at truck? I called Jacob, the call connected, but it went to voicemail. I texted him. Found basement, meet you at truck, and I hit send. In the dry stillness of the stairwell, I could have sworn I heard the text tone sound off in the distance. Floodlights glared overhead as I climbed down the steps to the sterile, white basement floor. There was no dirt, no dust. Row upon row of steel shelves silently receded into the brightly lit, immaculate distance. The shelves gleamed under the lights, and on each shelf lay dozens of white cardboard boxes. Night. Picked up a box near me. A small, elegantly hand printed label was affixed to the front. 623. I read aloud. The box was light, but something was inside. I removed the lid. Inside the box lay a woman's dress, a pink fabric that was polyester or maybe acrylic. Under it were a pair of buckled pink shoes and a purse. Well, maybe someone really likes to play dress up. I said to myself as I replaced the box upon the shelf. But deep down, well, I didn't believe it. Deep down, I needed to leave. Right then. But I didn't. I heard a ping, loud and echoing across the concrete and steel. Jacob's phone reminding him of my text. I looked around, but did not see him in the bright, cavernous room. I walked towards where I thought I had heard the sound and picked up another box. 898. Men's white dress slacks, pink shirt, white sport coat, loafers, black Ray-Ban glasses, a wallet. I flipped open the wallet, but it was empty. In the corner of the box... I noticed the gold ring, a wedding band. Though the room was swelteringly hot, I was suddenly cold. I put the lid back on the box and the box back on the shelf. The humming was louder here, more of a throb, so I continued my way down the corridor of shelves towards its source. Now at a certain point, the shelves emptied of boxes, their steel racks gleaming in the floods. At the far corner of the room, taking up nearly the entire wall, crouched an enormous furnace. Now, it was an oven. Its surface, vast and black iron, studded with rivets. Across its dark face were five large doors, and in those doors were portholes, And in those portholes, fire danced and played. Next to the oven was a cart. It was small and steel and very clean. On the cart was a single white box. Its label read, 1248. The box pinged loudly. I opened its lid. Inside it held the respirator a Tyvek environmental suit and Jacob's phone.